Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, many of you know that over the past month and a half or so, I had the chance to go and visit some of the most beautiful places in this country. I went over to Montana, to Glacier National Park, and then I went to Utah, to uh, four of the national parks. I didn't make it to Zion, but uh, it was tremendous. It was a great time. I enjoy getting out there and hiking. Uh, One of the issues that I discovered, though, is uh, currently I live in Houston. Prior to this, I live in Florida, Um, not typically places known for a lot of elevation, when it comes to rise above sea level. Uh, here in Houston, the highest mountains we have are our highway overpasses. Uh, and uh, in Florida, the, the highest elevation is 138 feet above sea level. Uh, we call it Mount Dora. That's 138 feet. Uh, and there were some hikes that we did that were uh, like 1,000 foot elevation difference. So I learned that the hardest part of any hike is the 30 seconds when you pass somebody else and you have to pretend like you're not actively dying, right? Where you're, hey, how you doing? Easy hike, yeah? You know, like that's, right? Um, and hiking, it's funny, uh, comedian Patton Oswalt, he says that hiking is just driving your car to a beautiful place and then walking away from your car until you decide to turn around and walk back to your car. And, and Jim Gaffigan says that, uh, he said, there's one, the first thing you notice about hiking is that it's a mistake. There's no restaurants at the end. There's, there's not even a vending machine. What are we doing? We're just out here wandering, right? And when you're hiking, there's something, this phenomenon that, that when you pass other people, once you get to a certain point on the trail, the other people coming the other direction, they'll look at you and they'll say two words. Two, it's almost universal. Those two words, and they're meant to instill hope within you. And those two words are almost there, Sometimes it's true. Sometimes you realize after a couple miles, they were deceiving me and lying straight to my face. Uh, and th- in fact, I did see there was, one <laughs> there was one time we got to the final destination and, and the wife was just livid because apparently at some point her husband said, we're only, it's just a little bit further, but the issue is you still have that long way to go. So obviously your lie is going to come out, right? So that's... That's kind of where I'm going with today's sermon. You'll see. Let's go to God in prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for this chance to come together in worship, to praise you. Lord, I thank you for the chance to share your message. And Lord, I pray that it is your message. It isn't about me, that it's not limited by my own limitations. But instead, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be at work, that we would all listening to this be willing to submit ourselves to hear your truth. Lord, speak to us in this time. In your name we pray, amen. Now, I've been in ministry for like 10 years now, and uh, there's this strange phenomenon that happens towards the end of the year. And this is a little early, but it's happening already, is that people are encountering trauma and tragedy and, and awful things in their life as that year draws to a close. For whatever reason, there are so many deaths and funerals that occur around Christmas time, and it's already happening just this past week. There were nine people in my life that are dealing with like life-changing traumatic things. Um, And I had that kind of ringing in my mind as I worked on this sermon, as I thought about people who are suffering, who are struggling to just get through today in this world. And so as I was looking at 2 Timothy, our epistle reading, I saw something that it's a habit 
that Christians have, that, that Christians have kind of taken up that's incredibly damaging to the faith, it's incredibly damaging to the church. And I've, I've talked about it before here, uh, but it keeps happening. Um, it's just something within us. And so I want to address that today. But first, let's, let's look at this idea from, from 2 Timothy. There's particularly a, a section that says a time will come where the people will abandon sound teaching and essentially pursue what their itching ears want to hear. And again, that's such a visceral idea of like, I just want to scratch the itch, right? There are a couple different ways to interpret that. The, probably the most obvious way and probably the most faithful way is to look at it when it comes to morality, right? Uh, this is Paul writing to Timothy in a town called Ephesus, which I've talked about before, that Ephesus was this big port city, all these different cultures and everything coming together. There was the temple to Artemis there in Ephesus. Um, there was a lot of questionable morality occurring within this area. And so there, maybe he's talking about people who are saying, well, everybody else does this or, or is allowing this while the church isn't doing that. I'm just going to f- work until I find somewhere that accepts what I want them to accept, where, where they say, hey, you made this choice in your life, but that's okay. It's not that big of a deal. It's fine, right? And that, that shifting idea of morality is certainly there when it comes to searching for a new voice, somebody who will agree with them. But I think that there's another interpretation here as well. And the idea of being challenged. See, in our modern age, we have this tendency to seek out confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is when you, you believe something, you, you know something to be true, or at least you, you have a concept that something is true, and then all the evidence that you look at after that merely serves to confirm that bias, right? This manifests partly because in our modern age, we have so much choice we have a lot of different choices. So like when there are five different 24-hour news stations and they're all competing with each other, you're going to find one that by and large agrees with you, right? And that's going to be the one you're going to watch because it doesn't challenge you. If you find yourself watching something and agreeing with everything they say, there might be a problem there because in reality, we should kind of wrestle with things. We should kind of wrestle with how we view things. But otherwise, you may just be surrounding yourself in an echo chamber. And so for the case of the people of Ephesus, when in the case of these people, maybe they were, they were trying to follow Artemis and they were trying to find a preacher who said that that was okay, trying to find that confirmation bias. And that's something that we struggle with in our modern age. And I think both of those interpretations of this itching ears concept, they're valid and I think they're faithful. There's a third one that kept coming to my mind. Um, and I, I, I quite frankly don't think that this is what Paul intended when he wrote this. I don't think it even necessarily applies to the rest of the text, but it kept coming to me so often that if we believe that Scripture is God-breathed, if we believe that Scripture is living and active and the Spirit is at work, then perhaps this is the Spirit speaking to somebody. But this idea of people pursuing what their itching ears want to hear, I think we as Christians sometimes fall into the trap of telling people what we think they want to hear. Telling people not the hard truths, not the reality, but instead what we think they want to hear. Take it like this. There's somebody in your life who's suffering, who's going through a difficult time, and there's something within you to say it's going to be all right. You know it's not going to be all right. You know that that what they're going through is difficult. You know that that life is incredibly tough for them, but but you have this tendency to say, it's fine, it'll be fine. Trust me, it'll all work out. Or even to take it a step further to say, well, God has a purpose. 
in all of this. There's a reason that God is doing this. Or maybe you say something to the effect of, just have faith. The issue with those things is that they ultimately become empty platitudes and, and false reassurances. Because when you're talking to somebody who's going through a life-altering tragedy and you tell them it's going to be fine, they're going, no, nothing about this is fine. I'm feeling all the pain and all the struggling right now, and you're, you're trying to tell me that it's going to be fine. Or if you tell them, well, God has a purpose for this, what they're going to think is, oh, God caused this. God's the one doing this. And they become angry with God. They become angry and bitter towards God, resentful towards Christianity in the church. And they say, well, why is this happening? If they say something to the effect of, of just have more faith, oh, that's the last thing that somebody going through a difficult time is going to have. And unfortunately, this has such a negative impact because people then look at the church and they see these empty platitudes, they see these false reassurances, and they say, well, Christianity, it's just a placebo. It's just this little fake messaging of like peace and it'll be all fine and just ignore the problems in life. And I'm going through a difficult time and they had the gall to tell me it'll all work out. This is why Karl Marx said that religion is the opiate for the masses, that it just soothes those raw nerves. The reality is this. We don't need to dwell in empty platitudes and false reassurances because we have true hope. We have a gospel that is pure, that this doctrine, this teaching of God, a God who cares a God who looks at his people and he sees as we struggle. He sees as we feel the impact of this world. See, that's the thing. People say, well, why does God cause suffering? God doesn't cause suffering. When people say, oh, there's a purpose for what God is doing. No, it's not God. The reason that we endure suffering is ever since Adam and Eve, we broke this world. We introduce selfishness and greed and rebellion, and we keep doing it every single day, and we're feeling the effects of that. It's not a one-for-one. One. It's not, I did this sin, and therefore I received this punishment. No, it's, we're all sinful, and so this world has pain and suffering in it. God can work through that. God can bring something good out of it, but he's not the one causing it. No, we don't need the help. We're the ones causing the pain. And so when you tell somebody that it's all going to be fine, that God's doing this for a purpose, they're going to become bitter and resentful towards Christianity and even towards God. But we do have true hope. We have something so powerful. God provides for us because our God knows the struggle that we encounter every single day. He walked around among it. He saw as his people were suffering. And so he provides us a number of things. The first one is right here, the Bible. And I know that sounds cliche, but here's the thing. We believe that Scripture is God-breathed. It's actually one word in the Greek. It's the only time that word appears in the Bible, but it's God-breathed. And what that means is that it's not God-written. God didn't tell those authors to write word for word. And that means that their personalities, their circumstances, their perspectives shine through. That means no matter what you're going through, something in here will speak to you, whether it be the Gospel of John that uses very simple language but incredibly complex ideas, 
or, or stories of people like Esther and Daniel and Joseph and Zacchaeus. Or maybe you go to Proverbs, little digestible bits of wisdom and advice, and you're like, yeah, I like that. Or maybe you need to go straight to Psalms, the roller coaster of emotions. Because David, who wrote so many of the Psalms, he was a man who he felt deeply. <laughs> he had all the emotions. One minute, he's praising God at the top of his lungs, saying how great God is. And the next minute, he is shouting in anguish and rage at God. Maybe you need to go right there and see how God is speaking to you, speaking into your situation, speaking to your emotions. There, there is some perspective in here that will speak to you. Now, that's not to say that all of it is for all applications, right? I can tell you this, 10 years of ministry, I've never sat at a hospital bed and read Leviticus. <laughs> never busted out Deuteronomy, you know, like, oh, well, according to this. I've never had a bride request one of the genealogies in the Gospels. I really like the part where it says so-and-so begets so-and-so. That's the best part. Like, nobody, it's not all for all, right? But it, there is something in here that will speak to you because we believe that God breathed, the word for breath being the same as spirit, that his spirit is at work in this. God speaks to us through this. Now, that isn't just a one-way conversation because God also gives us prayer, and as we see in our gospel reading, Jesus is saying in no uncertain terms, God listens. God hears your prayer. We don't have to, to pray to the Virgin Mary or, or through such and such saint of such and such. No, we get to go directly to God. At the crucifixion where it says the temple curtain was torn into, that curtain would have been right here. Separating the people from the presence of God at the altar. And that curtain, that, that curtain was torn in two, so now the people, us, we have access to the almighty presence of God. We can go to God directly in prayer. And it doesn't need to be some eloquent thing. Lord, I beseech thee upon thine mercy that you would see. No, it doesn't need to be any of that. Sometimes your prayer is just, God, where are you? God, why? God, I have nothing Left, God, I don't even know what to do. It says that the Spirit intercedes from the gro groanings of our very soul. And I gotta tell you, there have been times in my life where my prayer was but a groan. Prayer works, our God listens. And as we see in that gospel, he's going to provide for us. Now, with that said, that doesn't mean that God is going to provide in the way that you want in the way that your itching ears need, right? Sometimes you pray to God for, for healing. Sometimes you pray to God that you'll win the lottery. Sometimes you'll pray to God that the Astros will finish the game in like the 12th inning. Um, and God says, no, 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 not yet. See, his answer isn't always the answer that we agree with, but he always answers. God always provides some sort of answer. God provides and he provides so much more than we can ever comprehend. See, we pray for things in this world. We pray for little things, things that seem big to us from our perspective, but in the grand scheme of things, they are little, tiny things. No, God has something so much bigger in mind for you. He came to save, to offer salvation freedom from this very world. He says, oh, you're struggling with this world. Yeah, I can imagine. It's a pretty terrible place. But guess what? There is a better place yet to come. 
guess what? There is paradise yet to come. It's like this. Imagine you're in the ocean and you're drowning and you're gasping for breath and you are fighting to keep your head above water. A life preserver is nice, right? You know what's better? Land. That's what God provides. He takes us out of the miry muck. He takes us out of the struggle of this world and places our feet firmly in paradise for eternity, not for 70, 80, 90 years, but for eternity. And on top of that, as we mourn, as we go through these struggles that happen at the end of the year, know this, that there will be a reunion together that we'll get to be together with all those who we requested prayers for, all those people that we wrote their name on a card and I said their first, all those things, we will be together with them one day and we'll be free of pain and free of sorrow. And it has nothing to do with how we lived our lives. It has nothing to do with how good of a Christian you are or if you said the right kind of prayer. No, it has everything to do with what God did for us. For God, the almighty, all-powerful God who spoke in the entire universe happened, so loves love, compassion. He cherishes the world, the entire world, all people, not just the ones who come at 8.15 or 10.45 on Sunday morning. No, the entire world that he gave his only son, himself, part of the Trinity, part of his identity, he gave over to live a perfect life and then took that perfect life and snuffed it out so that we would not perish. And you're thinking, well, hold on now. You just said we're all going to die, right? Aren't we all going to, we're all mortal, yes, but you're thinking of the wrong kind of perishing, my friends, because we're going to have everlasting life in paradise. That's the hope that we can share. That's what we can offer as comfort to those who are suffering in this world. Remind them that though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it is but along the path to the greener pastures. God is leading us to something so much better. So, so listen, I don't know what you're wrestling with, right? We, we see in the Old Testament, it's actually the Old Testament reading for today. We did hear it in this service. We see where, where someone wrestles with God himself. It's okay. God can stand up to that. How are you wrestling with God? How are you wrestling with your faith? How are you wrestling with the hurt that you feel from this world? Let God speak in your life. Read through scripture. Go to God in prayer. God provides one more thing. Well, not one more thing, but in this sermon, one more thing. Community. He provides this. A community of believers, a family of people that will have your back. As you go through these times, know that you are not alone, that you have people around you. He provides community just like he provided Paul for Timothy. He provided the disciples for each other. He provides this group for us. Now, part of that is the challenge, yes, of being there for one another. When you know somebody is going through a difficult time, don't wait for somebody else to step up. Pick up the phone, call them, send them a text, send them an email, whatever. Reach out. Be there for one another. My friends, we are brought together solely by our faith, solely by the fact that we are broken people, united in how we are repaired through Christ. We have a pure gospel. We have a true doctrine. 
We have a God who loves you. He's steadfast. And nothing is going to take that away. We endure in this difficult world. We can get through because we have Christ who sets us free. And we know that one day, one day we'll be united in paradise. My friends, when you help one another, don't speak in empty platitudes. Don't, don't give false reassurances. Instead, speak the gospel. Speak the pure and true hope that we have through a loving and compassionate, forgiving God. To God alone be all mercy and grace. Amen.